Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. When I got to my first teaching parish, I was all of 22 years old, and I looked like I was 16, and I was met at the door by someone who had a hammer and some nails and some boards in their hand. And I thought, oops, I'm in trouble now. Well, they were measuring me for a platform to stand behind the altar. Well, are you short, you said? To which I replied, I'm not short, I'm highly concentrated. I was blessed to be able to go to seminary in Chicago, and Chicago has um, 23 different seminaries. Uh, It's a wonderful place because if you go to one, you can go to any of them. And my seminary actually was a joint um, United Methodist and Episcopal seminary, and we would travel to different seminaries taking uh, classes at whatever their specialty was. So everybody would come up to the Methodists for their um, scripture classes, and we'd all go to the Lutherans for their Greek and their Hebrew classes, and we would head into um, what they called philosophical theology down at the Disciples of Christ Seminary. It was wonderful, but what was wonderful about it was that on Friday afternoons in the springtime, the owner of the Chicago Cubs, this is back in the days, you know, when they didn't win any games, the owner of the Chicago Cubs would open up for free their bleachers for all the seminarians to come. And so spring, Friday afternoons, people from 23 seminaries would be gathered in the bleachers, sitting and talking theology while trying to cheer on the Cubs that day. But what was so incredibly wonderful about it was that there I was with people of all ages, from all backgrounds, who didn't see me as the young kid. And when I mean young, the next person in age to me was 10 years older. It's back in those days when everybody was second career coming into set to, to ministry. They didn't see that. What they saw was a child of God just like they were. And it was absolutely wonderful to be seen as that. I was actually ordained 40 years ago on a very warm day like we had a few uh, last week. And my dad came to my ordination, but my mother wasn't much of a churchgoer. And I don't ever think she got the idea of what I did because when I would visit her and dad down in Florida, her favorite saying was, this is my daughter. She's a pastor, but don't worry, she's still the same brat kid. Now, that was a joke for my mother. My mother's favorite nickname for me was brat kid. I was an only child. Where was the good kid? Had to be me. Um, And I was young at the time, but you know what? When people would give me a strange look, I would kind of smile and answer back, yeah, I may be a brat kid, but I'm a brat with a master's degree. You know, it's interesting because the disciples that Jesus chose, for the most part, were probably the brat kids of their family. There were some good ones in there. 
But if we look at the disciples who are always questioning him and who are always, um, they're asking questions. They sometimes don't want to do what Jesus wants them to do because it's a little uncomfortable or they, they kind of look at him strangely because he's asking him to do something that's never been done before. What I've discovered over the years is that, you know, God really does like brat kids. He likes those people that are kind of out of the box. He needs people who are all kinds, who come from all places and backgrounds and ages. And so as well as the ones who are the straight-A students and the goody-two-shoes, as well as the ones who never broke a rule, sometimes he needs the ones who are willing to stand up to him and say, what am I doing this for? Two years, or excuse me, two weeks into my seminary career, um, being so young and being up there and, and looking like I was 16, and I was wondering what I was doing there, actually. My plan in life had not been to go to seminary until God decided to up, you know, throw over my plan of action, which was I was going to be a doctor. But I was there, and I was having trouble with getting new concepts and, and having to sort of grow out of the old of who I was. So one night I went into the chapel and I sat or got down on my knees and said, God, I can't take this anymore. You're asking me to do too much. You're asking me to do things I don't think I can do. I look at all these really big, tall men and I look like them. And I'm not old what do I have to say? I'll tell you what, God, if you don't give me a sign in the next 10 minutes, I'm leaving. I'm going home. Just after I said that, one of my colleagues walked into chapel and did a double take. And he said, oh, you're the one I'm supposed to pray for. So what do you mean? Well, I was praying in my room and God said, get down to the chapel. Somebody needed you. Somebody needed me to go down. I said, so what's the matter? He said, I don't believe in women in ministry. <laughs> God has a sense of humor, let me tell you. Actually, that young man and I became very good friends, but that wasn't the end. He did. He prayed with me, and I thought, okay, God really does you know, need me to do something. The next day, I got a letter from my home congregation, and in it, it said, um, you didn't ask us to do this yet, but our church council voted for you to move to Canada to see ordination. And here is a gift certificate. Go out and have a stake on us. That letter was in the mail five days before I told God what he could and couldn't do. There is sometimes the sense that when people know you or you know yourself, that you begin to think less of your abilities. And we see that in the gospel today with Jesus because um, Jesus has been preaching all around at these wonderful places, synagogues. Uh, he's been out raising the dead. He's been out healing. Um, he has been out changing the world. He's, he's telling people, look, the covenant was not made for you to suffer. The covenant was made for you to have a better relationship with God. So let me tell you about what the kingdom really is rather than these 631 laws that are sitting in the covenant right now. And you know, the thing about Jesus is that Jesus is a marvelous storyteller. He's absolutely great at it. And so as 
his reputation has grown and grown and grown. Now the people in Jesus' family and hometown have high expectations. They want him to do the same thing for them that he's been doing around the world. The only trouble is when he gets there, the family has trouble letting go of Jesus as the child that they knew to accept him as the man who has grown in grace and in his divinity and as his wisdom. In other words, familiarity breeds contempt. Jesus is the brat kid. They know him. He's always been there. He's less than what they heard about just because they see him as they used to. Now, stop for a second and think of this. We like new things. New things hold our attention, and they're pretty exciting. And when we see something new that gives us hope, that gives us promise, that's going to make our life better, we're going to jump on it. How many things, new things, have we seen in our lifetime? Some are fads, and they come and go, but some are pretty you know, life-lasting. For example, the washing machine, the airplane, the computer. These are new things that change generations. But once you have them new, then you sort of take them for granted and you want something else. Smartphones. If you have a, ch a child or a grandchild that has a smartphone, you know how important these things have become. And they don't want just the one. I remember getting a cell phone and I was so excited because I could make a cell phone call from my car. That's all it could do, but it was nice, you know. Hey, if I got stuck on the side of the road, I had my cell phone. Samsung is on version 20. It can do 12 different things at the same time. I don't need a phone that does 12 things at the same time, but my children do. This is the problem of what happens when we become used to something and we either take it for granted or we need something bigger. My kids cannot perceive some of the simple joys that I used to have as a child. Take today, for, for example, 4th of July. Think about your 4th of July as a kid. When I was younger, I kind of lived in a rural area like this, but it was in New Hampshire. And what was so exciting is that we would gather in the town square. They had this bandstand, and there was like three people who played music for us, and we thought that was absolutely wonderful. And we'd take our blankets, and we'd go listen, and we'd eat our picnic. But then the really exciting thing happened because we would jump on our bicycles, and we would ride down the street to the local depot by the marshes, and somebody had set up this huge big bonfire several stories high, and we had sparklers. And we would play with the sparklers until they lit that bonfire, and everybody would wait until the flames reached the very top. And we'd wait as they burned down. That was exciting to us. My kids speak a different language and culture. Fourth of July to them is amusement parks, Food, trunk, food trucks with experimental food, 
and their favorite music stations streaming on their iPhones. Now, I'm thankful enough to give thanks for the freedom, or I'm old enough to give thanks for the freedom that was brought to us um, through world wars and through cold wars and, and through changes in this country. I'm an army, or excuse me, I'm a Navy brat. You know, my dad was in the Navy. Actually, everybody in my family has been in the Navy, going all the way back to Sir Francis Drake, who started the Navy. But everybody's been in the Navy, except me. They weren't quite working women in chaplains in the Navy yet. But growing up that way, you learn a certain way of looking at things. And if things aren't perfect, that's okay, because you know you can change them. But as we get older and history sort of tumbles unto us, sometimes we take that for granted. And it takes some of these brat kids of ours to remind us that if we look and they see something that needs to be fixed, Actually, fixing things can be exciting and new again. It restores our faith. Just like the church. Some of us have been Christians for so long. I, I'm one of those cradle-born Christians. You remember several years ago, they had a, um, a campaign, and they had these bumper stickers that said, I found it. My church came out with bumper stickers that said, I never lost it was that sense of being baptized as a child and growing up in the church, knowing it, loving the music, singing in the choir, well, singing in the choir until the brat kid came out. Somebody decided to challenge me to bring a frog in the church one Sunday. Now you know that that frog in my junior choir robes stayed there until just the right time at communion. And as the pastor was getting ready to bless the communion, this little frog went right across the altar. Ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. Excuse me. God has a sense of humor. That pastor happened to be my chaplain for my first week at seminary. And I went to him and I said, I don't know if you remember me. And he took one look at me and he went, ribbit, ribbit. He said, congratulations, you're now going to do penance the rest of your life in ministry for that. You see, we take, it, it takes sometimes that kind of experience that would probably upset us if we saw it happen at the time. Certainly did my choir director. But, you know, sometimes we need something to shake us up and make us new. We don't want to become a place where we get so used to things that we can't get excited anymore. Several years ago, I went to a uh, workshop at uh, England. There is a church in England called Holy Trinity Brompton. If, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Alpha program, but they originated it. It's a seekers program. And when I got to this church the first night, there were no pews on the bottom floor. There was a balcony and there were some bleachers up there, but there was nothing in the bottom floor. But on the columns, there were boxes and boxes and boxes of electrical outlets. So I decided I'd sit down on the floor and um, I waited. And just as this thing, the, the, we were about to begin the workshop, 
all of these kids in their teenage years began pouring down into that floor, that bottom floor, plugging their computers up so that they could live stream that to their friends. The smart older people like me were up in the balcony on the bleachers. But you know what? That was fun down there. There was so much excitement. We began with, actually, we began with some very old-fashioned hymns before the praise band began to play. Things, actually, we don't even have in our hymnals anymore, but they were wonderful. When's the last time you sang Onward, Christian Soldiers? We're not supposed to talk about that hymn. But you know what I learned that night? Because the first speaker got up and he said to, to us all, he said, okay, how many people have raised the dead this week? We all looked at each other. Okay, how many people have healed somebody this week? We all looked at each other. How many of you have made somebody lame walk this week? And then he turned to us and he said, Jesus gave every single one of his disciples the ability to do these things. And the reason we don't do them anymore is because we've gotten so used to Jesus in our life that we've forgotten our ABCs. A, we have the authority. God gave the, the 12 and then he gave the 72. And then before he left this world, he gave all of his people the Holy Spirit at Pentecost so that we have the authority that Jesus does. And he says, you know, are you guys surprised at what I do? You're going to do even bigger things than me. Second, we forget that we are called to be a blessing. We need to be blessed. We come to church so that it fills us so that we can go out these doors. But then we're called to be a blessing. And see, we're called to be compassionate. And compassionate means that we are selfless in our thought. As Christians, our love has to be as God's love, which means that we look around at others and their needs before we look at our own. He said, when you have your ABCs back, you can do incredible things. And we see that in our gospel today. Those disciples who are going to come back from these missionary experiences jumping for joy, incredibly ecstatic, not knowing how they did this. And Jesus is going to be simple. You loved God. And then you shared God's selfless love. As you grew strong in it, you shared that selfless love with others. We call that today loving your neighbor. So God says to us, don't worry, Jesus says. There will be always places that need to know you and need to see you. There will always be places that will, they're set in their ways and they're happy with their, they're doing there. And they have little ministries they can do, just like he had little ministries he could do with his family. But when we admit and we're willing to do something incredible, the church will once again be the star of this world because right now people need hope People need to know they're loved. People need something new and exciting that only the Holy Spirit can give us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you give us the ability as your people to do the things that your disciples are called to do, even when we can't believe that we can do it. 
We know that you understand this because we are human. We also know that when we are willing to open our hands, you can pour into them more than we can ask or imagine. Therefore, Holy Father, as today we look at our freedoms, we look at what we've got, help us not to take that for granted, but to be as excited as children with all possibilities and all ways that we can celebrate, both in the community and in our churches. Give us once again your Holy Spirit that we might remember we have the authority to be that blessing in your compassion. In Jesus' name, 